Welcome to At The Buzzer. Uh, I'm Jack, and over there is Sam. Hello. And since last we met, um, Colorado season has ended. And frankly, everyone's season has ended. College basketball is over. Yes, college basketball is over, but the Blazers and Nuggets are still fighting. So there's still some basketball. Yeah, and that's the last hope we have because, frankly, baseball doesn't count. And it doesn't really matter right now, at least. Yeah, I actually agree there. As a baseball fan, I agree. Until fall starts up and football's back in the air. Okay, okay, okay. Well, let's get to the point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the point is um, Tab Boyle and the Buffs lost to eventual NIT champion Texas at Texas. Um, It's a good team. Texas is good. Of the NIT, um, which is about about where this team um, should have lost is what I'm is what I'm going to say. I agree with that completely. So before we dive into the end of this season, I kind of want to go over the season holistically and talk about um, if you're disappointed, what your expectations were, uh, the roster. And um, just do a thorough autopsy on the 2018 to 2019 Colorado Buffaloes. All right, yes. Um, So I'll start real quick. Because from November 13th to December 25th, from Drake to Charlotte, I did not watch any of the games. That's the worst pop music crossover of all time, from Drake to Charlotte. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I would say a lot of those games probably weren't watching, weren't worth watching at least. Um, I I was reading the recaps you guys would write, but that was like as close as I would follow the team. I would look up the box scores and that's literally it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because you were uh, across the world. Yeah, I'll be back. I'll be back there soon. Well, um... So you missed the, I guess, what I would consider the easy part of the non-conference. And then, well, uh, they didn't really – well, I missed the whole non-conference. Right, exactly. <laughs> which, yes, was the easy part, which they still didn't do super well in, and which is eventually what kind of held them back from any NCAA tournament consideration. Mm-hmm. Not that they would have made it if they won over Indiana State, but – Still, um, I think you can make a good case that they would have made it if they won over Indiana State. That they would have made the NCAA tournament. Yes, because number one, you avoid a in the new net system, you avoid a quadrant three to four loss because Indiana well, State is not good. They also lost to San Diego and Hawaii, so and yeah, Washington San- State. Okay, so if you beat Indiana State, you don't play Hawaii. Mm-hmm play the winner on that bracket during this week. I think we would have had to play Providence or some Rhode Island, something like that instead. Yeah, it would, have, it would have been URI. Yeah, which we probably would have lost, to be honest. Right, but that would have been a quadrant two loss instead oh. of a death okay. now of a three or four. Um, so it's it, – if you, if you get that, that – 20th regular season win, which would have been Indiana State, you avoid a bad loss, and then you avoid a second bad loss because you're not in a bad position to start with. 
Okay, yeah, I see. So I would say that's enough because this team finished so well. Uh-huh. Um, I think that would be, with the bubble as weak as it was, enough to at least put them on the bubble. Yeah, there were some bad teams that made the tournament this year, like straight up. Yeah, uh, it was not a – it was a very disparate college basketball year. In a bad NCAA tournament, to be completely honest. What are you talking about? No way. There was like four good games. Well, all the Elite Eight games were great. All the Final Four games were great. And the championship yeah. games were great. I wasn't as entertained by the Final Four games. But, yes, the Elite Eight was great, but that was like two good days of basketball. Well, this goes back to the fact that you're coming from an know. NBA. This is irrespective so. of my this is irrespective of my preference for NBA. No, it, I think it isn't because you you expect quote unquote skill and <laughs> uh, ability during these games, where you just gotta appreciate the pure willpower. Okay, in fairness, yes, Michigan State Texas Tech. I was watching it. It was disgusting. Everybody was dribbling off their own foot. And I was like, yes, this is – I bet Jack is just drooling. Yes, right it's exactly right. Because it wasn't Ollie – it wasn't Ollie versus Frazier. It wasn't like, you know, skill versus power. It was just two – it was Frazier versus Frazier. It was just two – It was a drunken slap yeah. fight between two people who really wanted that last discarded piece of pizza. Which is pure entertainment. I'm, I'm, I have yet to <laughs> see the flaw there. Yeah, it was entertaining in the way that, like – I love when CU football gets into one of those rock fights where it's like 15 penalties on each team and the score is like 13 to four. Not I know exactly what game you're talking about. That's 2016 UCLA. Yes, actually, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, that was one of my favorite games. <laughs> like, we stay on topic for two minutes. Um, <laughs> the new record. Back to CU in 2018-2019, specifically yes. the basketball team. Okay. Um, so you missed the entire non-conference schedule. Thank, thankfully. So in your mind, I guess I'm asking you, if you just watched from conference play, the team looked good, right? I mean, at the beginning, they were mostly shit. <laughs> um, they, they almost lost to Cal, which I don't know how the hell Washington lost twice. to Cal. See, you almost lost to Cal twice, once in the Pac-12 tournament, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, the second one, I in the Pac-12 tournament, that was one of those games where C was never going to lose that. They were, it was just one of those that was just going to be like, it's just going to be hard to watch. I didn't think they were ever in danger. Right. But I'm also clairvoyant, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, conference play, as usual, and Tad Boyle talks about this, and a lot of fans talk about this, the – Pac-12 sets up CU with an impossible start. That happened last year, too. Yeah, exactly. And it happened, um, not that it mattered, but in 2014 it happened as well. That team would have lost regardless of where those games were. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, they also had a heavy road start. And it's just, like, it, it's setting your – especially with a team this young, it's just setting it up for failure because that's more hostile environments in it. Uh, I guess a less noticeable jump in skill this year, but still a jump in skill compared to your non-conference. Uh, and running up, winning on the road in college basketball is hard. Winning on the road with a young team is tough. 
winning on the road with a young team in Taboil system is uh, almost an impossible task. This so, is also, they had lost uh, Naaman around this point. Yep. And then they lost uh, Delion Brown to his grades at the same point. <laughs> so <laughs> it was at the point where uh, Dalen Coons, for instance, had to really start playing and he yep. wasn't quite ready. And, and Straden got put in from to about 15 minutes a game, 10 minutes a game. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, we'll talk a little bit more about the rotation later. But overall, would you, would you consider this season a success? Yes, because of the growth they showed and because they showed some lessons and because this team was completely, like, ravaged by injuries and they didn't have much, like, ready – college basketball-ready talent to begin the season. So once they lost Naaman Wright and DeLeon, for instance, and Dallas Walton, I was really happy to see how they stepped up and how they adjusted. Right. And it helped that they got those wins at the end. Right. So without the injuries, would you you wouldn't say this is a success if everyone stayed healthy? I mean, we wouldn't have had the same result. Okay. Interesting. I I think, well, I think... Okay, I'm actually... Okay, so besides Walton, I don't like when Walton gets injured, obviously. He has a, what, his third ACL tear? Yes. Oh, God, yeah. Um, I don't want him to get injured, ever. (laughs) Towards the end of the season, especially, we'll talk about it with Lucas Seward, is that Dallas Walton would have played a huge role at the end. Right. Um... But with Naaman having graduating or being graduated after this year, um, Delion, I don't really see a huge role for him in the future. I would rather have Dalen Koontz play heavy minutes than either of them on the floor. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think Koontz brings um, a level of, I guess, ex- explosion that no other guard has on the roster. Um, Gatling is, uh, I guess, quick trich. Tricky. But he's not – it's not the same, I think, as – I don't think he can finish drives like Koontz can. Oh, no. Gatling can get hacked, but that's pretty much it. So, why, why do you think the – why do you think CU struggled so much early? Like, what was it? Mm. Like, non-con or the, the schedule – like, the real basketball that I watched? Well, so I would say, and this goes into the season as a whole, the turnaround point was the, when we dominated Oregon at home, right? I think the turning um, point was actually losing to Oregon State. But, yeah. yeah I, I guess that's when the worm started to turn. Because that, that was a tough game. Um, and they, I don't think they played well, but they still found a way to make it close. Um, which well, That whole game, it's like – if Tyler Bay remotely shows up, they win right. that game easily. You're right. So I, I would say anything pre-Oregon schools is was was poor comparatively. Was a was well, a poor yeah, team. awful. So why why do you think that is? What you know what what changed? Why was that bad to start with? Part of it is the schedule, as you said. But I also don't think that like they they wouldn't have beat Arizona State at home at that point. I think they. Would have, well, hmm, they probably would have beat the other teams because Arizona was trash. 
Then Washington State. They, I mean, they beat Washington State. Utah, I don't count the Utah loss when I'm thinking about this team because that's when McKinley was out. Um, I don't know. Well, it, it's not even the losses. It's the, and the wins weren't as – like, they didn't look good in any of the wins, really. Well, I mean, they looked great against Washington State. They won by 32, but <laughs> – I mean, and I was there. It was like it was like a good win. Like they were good, genuinely. Yeah, but Robo or Robert Franks was also not playing. But I, I guess I would say the biggest change was um, McKinley Wright stepping back into a more comfortable role for himself. Um, what do you mean? The, by more, that? the more obvious change is. Uh, Tyler Bay flicking the proverbial light switch to on. Like he mm-hmm. somehow, I don't know what happened, but he just figured out that he is the most athletic player on the floor. And then he also figured out that he's pretty strong and he combined those for the first time in his career. Um, and I would say that was the main thing that switched. I don't know why, what it, I, what it took for those things to happen, but I think that's the only, the main difference. I think Tyler Bay getting showed up by Tress Tinkle is probably a good turning point for him. <laughs> and I don't know what was happening in that Oregon State game, but I think he went like one of ten from the field. Right. Missed all kinds of open layups inside. He wasn't even getting the ball. He couldn't secure rebounds, and he was just like lost. Mm-hmm. And he went out the next game and absolutely demolished Oregon. He had, like, 14 points and six rebounds in the first, like, five, ten minutes of the game. Well, that <laughs> that whole game, I don't know what happened to Oregon. Oregon just left their head in Eugene. They were completely out of it, and they were playing a pissed-off CU team. Um, Oregon can't win in Boulder regardless, and they can't <laughs> win when Boyle and the team are that. I they were – up. I think they were scuffling at that point as well. I'm I'm pulling up their their schedule. But I remember like I, I wasn't intimidated at all by them. Like I was I was scared of them in the Pac twelve tournament if it ever got to that point. Well they figured out how to play without Bull Bowl by that point. Yeah. Um Yeah, they had lost oh I guess these weren't really bad losses. They lost to Arizona State and Washington. But well, they lost to UCLA and Oregon State as well, but okay. So before, yeah, before we move on to uh, some player-by-player reviews and some uh, predictions, we both agree this is the best Tab World coaching job, right? We're up there for 2012. Up there, we 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 still have to probably mark him down a little bit because he got out coached pretty badly in a few games that they lost. Yeah, and the, I mean the beginning year was listless, which obviously is still his to play. It's his fault, but also <laughs> turning uh, turning the the skeleton ship of what's eight rotation players. Two of them are freshmen, um, and was all of them are sophomores. No seniors. Turning that into a winning conference team, and then a team that got to the Conference semifinals, and then eventually do the NIT what quarter quarterfinals? Elite Eight yeah. is nuts. That's crazy. Yeah, no, that was that was a really impressive job. I'm really happy with it. 
I just don't want to say that it was one of his best coaching seasons because things didn't turn around until February, but yes. Well, yeah, well, here's why I say that. 2012 was a team that was older, experienced. They had a surefire NBA first-rounder in Robertson. They had – I was not sure at all. I think he was projected maybe mid to late second round. Oh, well, not that year. It wasn't sure. But I, I'm confident in saying that uh, a lot of CU fans, myself included, thought if he stayed till senior year, he's going to get drafted in the first round. Okay. Um, but I don't really um, agree with that, but okay. It was obvious he was a ne- at least a next-level college player. He was yes, a- he was going to be an NBA player. I'll, I'll just – I'm a draft nerd, and I've studied that 2013 draft more than I want to admit because it's so fascinating. Yeah. Like, Kelly Olynyk got drafted, I think, one pick. No, Shabazz Muhammad got picked picked before Giannis. Is that the Thomas Robinson draft? Was he in that draft? No, that was 2012. I loved Thomas Robinson. I really thought he was going to be amazing. Me too. Okay, that is incredibly off topic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, I mean, the 2012 team had uh, Dinwiddie, it had Robertson, it had Eskia Booker off the bench which was, I mean, it still continues to be lethal. Um, they had solid shooting Knutson. They had blue guy in chat. I forgot Knutson existed. They had a, what I thought was one of his best recruiting polls in terms of fit. They got a one-on-one ISO scorer in Carlin Brown. Which I love Carlin. Obviously paid off in a big way. But that team felt more prepared to win bigger than this team ever did. Does that make sense? So that's why I think yes, this year is almost as impressive or as impressive because this team, at least at the beginning, looked younger than they were, and they aren't really young. Like, they were listless. The, the offense was stagnant. It felt like um, there was almost uh, like shot allocations, like each each player is like, I'm going to get my 10 shots and we're going to pass the ball and I'm going to take turns getting our 10 sh- instead of finding the best shots. It kind of felt – I never thought about that, but I think that's right. kind of felt like formulated, um, but wrong. It felt, it felt like the wrong formula. And then uh, something happened where Boyle pushed the right buttons and I think the players also responded very well. And he got the, he got the mixture correct. He used the – rotations well he started using timeouts aggressively in the first half which is evolution he got i don't know it was um it was just an impressive job to go from where the team was at the beginning to what the team was at the end um, which i think is coaching you should answer your phone mm, i don't think so that sounds like a menacing sounds like a menacing uh dial tone so, um, okay, stop, thankfully. So, Boyle, he improved a fuck ton. Oh, wow, I probably should not say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he improved a lot uh, this year. As of the, I mean, yeah, as of the players. Um, and let's get into that a little bit, just going down through the roster. Um, and just to give a little bit of context on why I'm so impressed by Boyle's coaching job. Um, we're both on CBB reference, which is like the best stat uh, site on the internet. Um, and I'm just looking through the roster here. Let me just go through the bottom 
I don't know, six, seven, eight names on this 15-man roster, 14-man roster. Dallas Walton didn't play. Obviously, he's a huge part of the team and the best rim protector. Um, Frank Ryder is a walk-on that had a red shirt. So he didn't Are you play. really going to count them? <laughs> John Buck didn't play. Aiden McQuaid is a walk-on who played only at the end of games. AJ Martinez is a walk-on who only played at the end of games. Uh, I'm trying my best here. Benin Urshek is also another walk-on. He's and a walk-on can... from Austria? Yeah. Oh, and he's not even a walk-on. He's from, he's from Kent, Denver. Okay, sorry. Um, then we get to Eli Parquet, who played at times, and I was impressed by him at times, but not a player you want to rely on during Pac-12 play. Well, he also hurt his knee and doesn't quite know how to dribble yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you get to Delian Brown, who was unavailable during conference plays. You get to also, Alexander Strading, who is a walk-on um, and got put on scholarship. Yes. Thrown in there as a toughness piece and um, turned into a great spot player. Yeah. Um, and then you get to Naaman Wright, who also had to shut down early. So – Realistically, you're playing with seven players that you can rely on for 15 or more minutes a night. Yeah, and that um, includes that includes Dalen Kuntz, like learning how to play against major college basketball. Right, and that, and includes, that includes Evan Batty, who had his first action this year. Yeah, he hasn't um, played in two years, yeah. And that includes Jane Gatlin, who had his first action as a D1 player this year. That also includes Lucas Seward, who got lost in the last four <laughs> weeks of the year. Right. Like, that is crazy. That is nuts. That that team finished top, what, four, top five in the conference, right? Yeah. yeah. That, that shouldn't happen. So, part I think that just – Part of it is that the conference was absolute trash. Right. But we were supposed to be part of that trash, and somehow we ascended to mid-tier trash. Yes. Utah finished third – which is indicative of how bad the Pac-12 was. Well, and also, Larry Kostowiak is an amazing – he's a great coach. Yes, absolutely incredible. Um, so, with that, I, I guess I just crossed out all the names that we aren't really going to talk about. Um, they have basically two players who are functioning, plus <laughs> two players who show up every other game and then two young players who were learning how to play as the season progressed. Yeah. So um, two I, warm bodies. I think that we should start with, sorry. Um, I think we should start with the end of the bench and move our way up. Um, so I think we should talk about uh, Eli Parquet here for a little bit. I don't really have much to say about Parquet right now. Well, so he's he, freshman from Texas. Um, he came from a small school in Texas. They won a lot with him there. Uh, he was obviously he was the number one option at his school, so he was used to playing point guard and dominating through the dribble, blah, blah, blah. Um, he is also, I think, good on defense, which is why Virginia Tech and CU were two of the biggest programs after him. Virginia was, Tech was on him? Yeah. Um, but he so he signed his, he signed with CU and I don't think 
I think Tad used him about as much as he was planning to, maybe a little more. Um, I don't think he was meant to get a lot of action this year. I think it was kind of like a George King freshman year, just showing him the ropes. Yeah, I wouldn't um, mind also if Parquet redshirted next year. Right. Go the George King route. Yeah. I, so, I, I don't know. I liked what I saw from him. I thought he had really good defensive instincts. He got a disproportionate amount of blocks compared to his minutes and his body size. Um, he was disruptive in passing lanes. And I thought he played decent one-on-one defense. Um, but on offense, I mean, he was not a factor. Yeah. Um, he had 30 points this season, all season. <laughs> so it's probably – yeah, I don't know what to say about his offense right now. But, yeah, the defensive potential definitely flashed. Combined with Dalen Koontz, who we'll talk about many words, I'm sure. I really hope so. Mm-hmm. This – Front court could be absolutely like horrifying defensively in three years. Right. Um, I think Parquet is a little more solid on the ball. Um, he's also just thicker right now. And he's athletic. Um, yeah, so he's huge too. Once the game slows down for him, um, I think he's going to fit that tad mold of big guards that play one-on-one defense. He can play man defense on the perimeter. Yeah, absolutely. I um, – it – helps the team defense immensely when they're not giving up dribble drives like it's nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> that date oh, was I just think it was Theo Booker. Oh, man. <laughs> defense was optional for him. Uh, so, next we have Delian Brown, which we didn't see a lot of this year. Um, and his name is in the transfer portal, so we might not see a lot of him next year. Uh, any of him. Any of him. <laughs> So it's hard to characterize this season as anything other than disappointment just because we didn't see him much. Um, I don't really see much of a role for Deleon. He can be a bench 3 and D type player, but that's it for me. Yeah, he's okay at three-point shooting. His best role, I think, is he's, he's really good at team defense yeah. um, more than any of our other guards. I think he's really good at communicating switches um, and kind of just patrolling – like his area and also his man. I don't I, – I know – I mean, McKinley can just fight through switches, but I don't know how many other guards here are good at switching off and timing and stuff, which is so huge in pick-and-roll-dominated basketball. Uh, so I think he's good at, like, the little things like that and positioning, like little defensive things that Tab Boyle will go nuts over. Um, so Tab would like to have him back. I don't know if he will be back because it's all based off his academics and what he thinks his role is. Um, but I, I do think his minutes can be replaced pretty easily. Yeah, I wouldn't really mind if he transferred and that scholarship got replaced. Um, but I also don't want to sound cynical because he is a – yeah. I mean, he's been productive in the past. Right, and he's, by all accounts, like a, a good guy. He's Yeah. It's not like he's a cancer on the team or anything. Not um, at all. He's a, he's a good guy. I, I've had classes with him. He seems good. Yeah, so I, it's not like we're trying to force saying he should be forced out, but uh, <laughs> he, he is not integral to the future success of the program. In oh, mind. remember Dustin Thomas? <sighs> How could a guy who's that good at shooting in an empty gym be so bad at shooting in a real gym? Yeah, I think he got arrested. Shortly after he transferred to, oh, yeah, he because he was 
caught up in the Arkansas credit card fraud. Yeah, that's really, that's strange and sad, and I feel bad for him. I mean, we can spend hours talking about the that <clears throat> recruiting class because there was so much potential. Jerron Hopkins, Justin so Thomas, Sean Fletcher. All oh, the- Trayshawn. He was good oh, at Toledo. Well, he was great he was at Tulsa. a game last year. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, <laughs> Alexander Strotting. Um is next up, and he, I completely surprised me. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was going to be another lovable oaf, uh, a la Ben Mills, or uh, <laughs> Shane Harris talks if Ben you know Mills. That name. Uh, but he uh, proved himself. I mean, he played well against the best teams at CU play this year. Yeah, no, I called him Big Game Alex, which isn't very creative, but uh, <laughs> he really does show up when it matters most, and he almost saved CU against Oregon State. Like, he came in, uh, replaced Tyler Bay in that first matchup, and almost helped them to the win. They ended up losing by two. Well, but, um, he saved them in the Pac-12 championship, too, because he had, what was it, 10 second-half points or 10 overall points? Yeah, he had 10 points, shut down Trace Tinkle. He drew fouls. He drew about three fouls, I think, on Trace Yeah. No, he was, like, legitimately, damn, this guy's good. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we've talked about this before, but he is, if Tabwell could construct a uh, power forward for a team, <laughs> he has all the qualities that Boyle covets that aren't um physical or skillful yeah exactly like he, he can probably get i don't know maybe six inches a foot off the ground like he he's not a leaper he has no shooting touch yeah i mean he's not gonna play above the rim he's not like batty where the athleticism is evident in his footwork or his, his crazy quickness <laughs> so freaky tough and um I think the reason you call him Big Game Alex is because I think he's consistent in all of his minutes. I don't think he treats any minute differently than the last minute. Um, he just runs as hard as he can for every single one, no matter who the opponent is, no matter what anyone else is doing. He's just going to try to run through and around everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was impressed by him, and I, I think there's still some minutes for him to have next year. Um, and I think he's very – he's good for the locker room, I think. I think he, his his energy level helps everyone else. Where are your minutes for him next year, assuming Dallas Walton comes back healthy? Yeah, so assuming Walton comes back healthy, uh, I think you're going to have to move Bay to the wing more often, and then Strotting wow. can still play in spot minutes there uh, with Dombeck. I think he and Dombeck are probably going to play. You have Dombeck getting minutes next year? Not a lot, but um, – we can talk about that when we talk more about next year on the whole. No, wait, hang on. Let's let's. So next year for the front for the front court, we have Bay obviously. Yep. Uh, Walton is the presumed starter if right. he's healthy, which he might not be. Depends. I don't really know. Well, even if he starts or not, he's gonna play. I think twenty minutes a game, twenty-five minutes a game. Yeah. And then you have Batty as the first big off the bench, and he's yep. going to absolutely dominate off the bench. That's going to be a great role for him. Um, then you have Seward, who right. should be relegated to the bench, to be completely honest. I don't think so. I think, I mean, he, I think he, he's learned how to contribute without scoring, but we can get to him. 
Yeah, but like at the same time, offensively, if your one skill is shooting and you lose your jump shot halfway through the year, what's going to happen? I mean, you're you're right. He he will be less needed next year. So if his shot betrays him again, I think uh, he won't play as much. Yeah, I I really think he's in danger of losing serious minutes if he doesn't shoot. Which could be a good motivator. What? I mean, that could motivate him or keep him a little more. It could, but we know that he's a confidence player through and through. Right. Um. So if that hurts his confidence and he is lost in that way, then I don't know what to do with him. I think he still has the coach's green light, and I think it's it's not like the. You know, it's not like McKinley or Dalen or anyone's going to stop passing to him. I think they all know he can't shoot. Um, so it's, it's no one else has stopped believing in him as much, um, except for Lucas. I think he, Lucas is the only one that's down on Lucas right now. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, so after Seawirt, you have your fifth big man, presumably Strotting, which I think fifth big man is his role. Yes. <laughs> I think um, it's an initial spot for him. He, he, can can play minutes. He, he can get spot minutes if, like, Bay disappears or if, like, Seawert um, isn't shooting that night or if Batty just needs some rest, whatever. He's good well, insurance. You know exactly what's going to happen is there's going to be a game where Bay is playing bad and he's letting his shooting affect his defense Mm-hmm. And Seward's playing soft in the post and Batty's in foul trouble or something like that. Where Boyle's unhappy with the toughness or the willpower shown. And he's just he's gonna pick Alex up off the bench. He's gonna say, he's gonna say, Go, go show people how to work. Mm-hmm. And for five minutes, you're just gonna stare at one of these bench uh, these starters while Alex Strotting is falling all over the court, setting <laughs> screens, running as hard as he can. And just, I mean, he's he's perfect for that. His his consistent energy level is great to just kind of reset some players. Yeah, I I really don't see any other role for him. Like that sounds like that's going to happen. Right. Like it's not even a joke. It's going to happen. <laughs> oh no, it it is. And there's going to be one or two games where he's going to start shredding because he was unhappy with the effort and practice the day before. Yeah. And I mean. Which is great. That's that's a perfect role for him, and I think it's a good thing to have on the team. And then the sixth big man would be Dombeck, Jakob Dombeck. Well, I don't think he's going to play in the post ever. I don't think he's a post player. No, he, he could be a small ball four. Yeah, or a big ball three. <laughs> see, this is our issue. <laughs> <laughs> I see a six foot eleven. Weird, gangly freak, whatever he is. I don't even know what he is. I don't even know if he's human. We can talk about this when we get to predictions next year, but we don't – we have no idea what to expect from him. Yeah, like he, he might not even play next year. He's redshirted, he redshirted this year. He – no idea what to expect from him. Yeah. I could so, get the parquet treatment. <laughs> he might get the parquet treatment, which is uh, one of my least favorite sequels to The French Connection. <laughs> I have not seen the French Connection yet, but I am going to very soon, and I'm excited. Okay, just don't I ever love, get to the parquet treatment. I love not nearly as good. Um, so I guess now would be the time to talk about Neyman Wright, the lone departing player, scheduled departing player. I don't really have any thoughts. I, it's interesting. I don't really either. Um, I I think 
he was tantalizing his entire career here. He never broke out the way I wanted him to. Um, but he's, I mean, good guy, uh, good teammate, rebounded really well for a guard, but I don't think he ever consistently scored like I wished him to. He scored 25 in one game, and that's like it. And Which is crazy. He has all the gifts, and it's not like his mentality is – I don't think he was overly passive. It, it just never came together quite like we imagined. Yeah, I – at least he was better than Josh Fortune. Right. Um, <laughs> transfer record under Tab Boyle is um, – I mean, you got Carlin Brown. Sabatino Chen. Sabatino Chen. And that's it. Yep. So, speaking of, I was going to bring this up when you were talking about Dombeck. Um, do you have anything to say about Maddox? Wait, what's his name? Oh, I was going to talk about that during the predictions. Just um, the next year. But okay. he uh, apparently is the last recruit of the Kim English era, the, the Kim, Eng- Kim English guard era, um, as Kim English has to Tennessee. Who else, Who did – English recruit exactly. Um, well, I mean, the, see, see, recruiting at Tab Boyle is so um, paradoxically open. Like he'll he'll talk about it. Um, obviously, after they're signed, almost, you know, he he doesn't hide anything really because he has nothing to hide. He's a very open recruiter. But he also it's closed in the fact that he is thoroughly uninterested in talking about it. So if people ask him, he will. Yeah. But it's. it's it's not like he assigns people or he'll talk about which coach made contact first. So um, I would say it's a Kim English recruit because he is the most active recruiter on the staff. Um, he had the most East Coast connections, and he also – Maddox plays a lot like Kim English did. Oh, you wrote that, yeah. So he'll be coming in. He'll probably play a two or a three kind of in the Deshaun Schwartz range. Um, but he can handle it a little more than Deshaun Schwartz can. Um, What's his full name again? I keep calling him Maddox. No, it's, it's Max Daniels. Oh, Daniels. Okay, thank you. Uh, he has an or, or, uh, unorthodox shot, but it goes in a lot. Um, he was about as good of a shooter at the Juco level as Shane Gatling was. Um, do, you see any, do you see any minutes for him? Yeah, I think – I mean – there's, I think there's spots, if you're going to get minutes, there's spots open where he is, which is that two or three combo range. Um, because you can shift Koontz. Koontz can play the two or the one. So if, if McKinley needs rest, you can shift Daylin up to the one, and then you can put Gatling at the two and put Maddox in at the three if Schwartz is resting. Or you can put Maddox in at the two and Schwartz at the three. He's going to play – spot minutes he's going to be relied on to defend because he has a huge wingspan and he's pretty pretty big and he's going to be relied on to hit some open shots yeah that sounds like a a, a typical tad wing and it, it need to be immediate because tad knows the next year's a year um but all that aside he's, he's going to be a pretty close replacement to Neymar, like almost exactly the same role as Nathan Wright played Maybe a little bit less expectations. Yeah, a little bit reduced. Um, so we, let's get to your favorite player to talk about. Yeah, well, favorite. my favorite player is Evan Batty. Yeah, your second favorite. Yeah, my second favorite player right now is Dalen Coons. 
Right. So wax poetic, go for it. So I think that this is probably an irresponsible take, but I think that Dalen Koontz will be in the NBA at one point. <laughs> that is an irresponsible take, but keep going. <laughs> so I see a huge guard with length, athleticism, uh, anticipation, and he is really creative and crafty. Um, he's going to be a terrific slasher once he can like consistently put the ball on the floor and be able to create for himself and for others off the drive. Because he's shown in this year that he can dunk on people. He can be acrobatic, change his shot in midair, draw fouls that way. And lefties tend to do that when they're slashers. Um, defensively, too, he's disruptive. Um, he got a few coast-to-coast -coast steals, which is always good to see. And you don't see steals very often in Tad Boyle's defense. Right. If he just, like, you know, develops his dribble drive game more, improves as a passer, displays some point guard ability, and, like, extends his range more consistently, I think he's an NBA player. Right. Um, well... That, I mean, that part of the take wasn't irresponsible. I think all that's true. Uh, <laughs> I just don't know if that equates to NBA player yet. Yeah, that's, that's a bit of a reach. I agree. So, it's just the way the NBA tends to like players. I think that that's the type of player who would be favored. Yeah. To, to add to it a little bit, um, I think he is probably the best – other than McKinley, he's probably the best finisher at the rim – on this team. Um, including Tyler? Yeah, including Tyler. Uh, <laughs> Pretty I, telling of Tyler Bay. I think, well, I think it's more of a compliment to Koontz. I think he can, he gets a bucket or a foul most times. He, like you said, has a really good way of uh, contorting uh, around the rim and getting a foul and still leaving mm -hmm. room open to make the shot. Um, and he also finishes stronger than any other guard on the roster. Um, at least in terms of attacking the rim. I think he's really good at that. Um, his step back, his step back two was really nice. I would like his his set three to get a little bit better percentage. Um, but I, I don't know. I think he's one of the best drivers on this team now. And um, I, uh, adding to your list of improvements, if he can learn how to cut from the corner off the ball, he is going to get a lot of easy dunks. Oh, absolutely. Um, but he's pretty good now at spot minutes as a point guard. I'd like to see if he can easily take that um, back up to McKinley role. Um, so that way the offense still runs pretty smoothly with him running it. But, I, I mean, I was impressed. I was not expecting that level of burst. Uh, not at all, no. From him. The two freshman guards are really exciting, really exciting. Yeah, I if if Parquet is a better on-ball defender, I think that Koontz is a scarier off-ball. Yeah, he's way better at, um, I guess, timing passes. He is really, really good at timing passes. He's, he's really good for how young he is at that. Yeah. Um, so let's okay. get to the last freshman. Uh, though he's 20 or 21, so I don't know if he still counts. Uh, oh, my God. I can't wait for 24-year-old Evan Patty. Right. Evan Patty. 
Um, everyone's everyone's favorite story, the one that gets mentioned in every CU broadcast. Um, and obviously, I mean, has to be a fan favorite. He deserves it. I walked by him yesterday, and I saw him just like smiling, doing a little dance as he approached this friend and gave her a giant hug. And he's just smiling, and that's just what he looks like. That's what he does every day. Right there. I mean, <laughs> he is. I think I've. I don't know if I wrote this, but he is one of those players where I'm. Obviously, I'm happy that he's playing for CU, but I'm more happy that I get to say I went to the same school as him. In mm. 20 years, 30 years. The guy is just – what a – I mean, and to think he could have gone to Purdue. <sighs> I mean, thank God he made the right choice. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he came, to, he came into his own during conference play. He figured out how to play. He figured out that he can, like, not only just hang with people, he can dictate the game. Right. He is a unique player. Like, I wrote about this. It wasn't really, like, a substantial article, so I don't really blame anybody who didn't read it. But um, he's, a, he's a unique player. Nobody in college basketball is like him, really. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's, he, he is like uh, if someone put the same height and weight sliders as Zion Williamson in a creative player, <laughs> putting all the uh, points into like athleticism or dunking or anything like that. They put all the points into passing and awareness and uh, like post-ups. The guy, you know, Zion's really, really, really good as a playmaker. Right. But let me, it's a metaphor. Fine. Okay. <laughs> Zion is incomparable. Sorry. Okay. Well, it's like someone had uh, Caleb Weston. Is that better for you? I don't know who that is, so sure. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I had to fix Zion, Sam. You painted me into the corner, and I painted the corner. You know, who who else is he the size of? 268, 270? There aren't a lot of people up in his um, weight class. What about in the NBA? I'm trying to think. Boris Diaw, but Boris Diaw was really athletic. Yeah, but that's a, that's a pretty good uh, comp going forward. Fat um, Boris Dia when he was on the Hornets. Free diet, Paul Millsap. No. Well, anyways, he, <laughs> he, he is such a weapon, I think, going forward because he realizes now that he's probably the best passer on the floor when he's every time he's out there. Um, and he's also the best post player on a team. And that yes. when you have that combination, um, your whole, I mean, that changes your entire offense. That makes everything run so much smoother. Yeah, that, that post move, that spin that he does creates so much space, and he's so quick with it. Yeah, I mean, the, the crazy thing is he's so quick with it, and then people try to block it, and they realize they can't go through the whatever he has, three feet wide wall of concrete he puts up in between him and his right arm. Like, he – it's the length of the defenders who are taller than him and longer than him can't get there just because of how – wide he is how girthy yeah exactly um how slim boy thick he is <laughs> yeah he's he's instant offense already and he's only going to get better and the biggest growth was on the defense i mean he figured out how to play team defense during conference play um which is such a huge thing because he's already pretty good one-on-one -on -one. you can't really go through him but once he figured out how to rotate correctly uh 
he stopped becoming liability there. And so, he can protect the rim without jumping, really. Right. The old Mark Gasol trick of positioning and timing and IQ. It will be frustrating the next three years watching him get fouls for standing there just because of how big he is. And that, it, it will happen. It's Pac-12 refs. Oh, yeah. He got plenty of fouls this year because people were running into him and obviously collapsed to the ground. And he Do you know something up. about the NIT that I appreciated? Yeah, there was less foul calls. There. We oh. had normal refs. Um, well, we talked a little bit about Lucas, so I kind of want to go directly into the what, what I would consider the consistent starting lineup this year, the four players left. Um, all guard players, all wing players, um, except for obviously the best player. Um, so I think let's let's talk a little bit about um, Shane Gatling and so the starting five would be real quick next year. Yeah, it would be presumably McKinley Wright, Shane Gatling, yep. Deshaun Schwartz, Tyler Bay, and Dallas Walton. Yep. Okay, that's what I would think. Yeah. Walton, I mean, it would depend on how healthy he is to start the season and if he needs to some time to get back into the groove. Right, but then you can put Batty in there. Um, yeah, that's not really a drop-off. It's been pretty long time, um, and Walton knows how to rehab by now. Um, biggest thing would just be, I guess, mental, if he, if he can trust that knee. But mm-hmm. I, I think he'd be physically okay to go. If he can trust it after two ACL tears, he can probably trust it after a third. <laughs> Which, um, that's really not good to say about a 20-year-old. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I could not trust mine after one, so he is already... I trust my knee, and I tore my meniscus. I didn't even tear my ACL, and I'm scared. <laughs> what we're saying is you should always be scared when you walk on the basketball court. What I'm saying is that, did you see Yusuf Nurkic break his leg? No, I purposely avoided that. Yeah, see, I also avoided it, and I'm still scared just knowing he broke his leg. Yeah. Yeah, well, it it can get gruesome. Um, Luckily, I think Walton was semi-clean. But regardless, where we're talking about Shane Gatling, um, Uh if you want to talk a little bit um, about what you saw from him this year. Um, For me, he's a shooter, first and foremost, obviously. Uh, and he's a shooter who's very streaky, and you he can shoot the lights out. And I, whenever he warms up, he shoots from, like, Steph Curry range, and he hit, consistently hits it. Right. It's just, I don't know. It doesn't really translate to games. I, I, don't, I have no idea why. He shot 32% on high volume. This whole team, by the way, they have good three-point shooters, but they shot – 32% from three on the year, which is much worse than they should be. That's 283rd in college basketball. With shooters like Seward and Schwartz and Gatling, um, I don't expect that to keep. I think all three of those could shoot better than they did this year. I don't know what, what was the deal. Well, Schwartz had a comically low percentage until conference play. Something was off with his, with his shot, um, which yeah, got – I'm going to pull up short stats, but keep going. Um, I don't know. If if Gatling can play every game like he's playing UCLA, then we're fine. 
Like, well, I mean, obviously, because he scored 30 points that game. <laughs> <laughs> and he also took good shots. And, I mean, he played good defense. He is obviously he's a quick-twitch athlete, one of the better quick-twitch athletes on the team. Um, loves to pl- throw it down. I think he's very emotional, which I think is important on, on this team, at least. Um, I, don't, I don't think he's emotional in a bad way. I think he just plays hard. Um, and he grew on defense a lot this year. I thought he's he, a good cutter too, and he works yeah. hard on offense. Yes, he is. He he can cut from the corner. That's kind of what I want Coons to learn is how how Gatling cuts from the corner. He probably will learn then if Gatling's there to teach him. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. He impressed me a lot with how well rounded his game was. I thought he he grew on defense. He became a good cutter. His off the dribble shot is solid, um, especially when he's feeling it. The, yeah, I shouldn't call him just a shooter because he is much more than that. Well, that's what he was built at, and that's what he should be. The crazy thing is, as just a shooter, his probably the worst part of his game was his three-point shooting, comparatively. That's so strange. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I think expect more of the same from him next year. Oh, my God. Lucas Seward had almost as many – had more turnovers per game than Gatling and Schwartz, and almost as many as Bay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think we saved the last three, the, which I would consider like the core of the team, part of the what's turning out to be the legendary 2017 class. Um, so let's start with the wing assassin, Deshaun Schwartz. The most um, enigmatic player since, what, Jerron Hopkins? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably, probably true. Um, I think he figured it out more than Hopkins ever did at the end of this yeah. year. Well, it's um, not saying much, but yeah. I, so I, I was just so impressed with the shots he hit. Like he hit the biggest threes all year that CU needed um, in high stress, high pressure situations. And last year, if you look at yeah. the Pac-12 tournament game against ASU, he hit a big shot that put him up six when they were only up three and they are losing their lead. But he um, turned out to play near the beginning of the year. He was kind of lost everywhere. He was playing some pretty bad defense. He was turning the ball over more often than he should. I thought he always he always cut his drives way shorter than I thought he could have because he's big and he's pretty. He's like I was watching a game one of the games. I think it was Washington State, and I realized Deshaun Schwartz is. Big, like he, that is a large man. He's a good six foot seven, like not exaggerated at all. Right. It was. I don't know who said this, but if you look at the pictures when they signed Bay Schwartz and Batty, are all pretty much the same height. They just play three different positions. Um, yeah, and big. Schwartz. Schwartz um, I, he always kind of cut his drive shorter than I thought, which led to turnovers and bad shots. Then, as his confidence grew, he learned that he could take it to the hole. And you've seen this before, but I love this move he does where he'll extend his left arm because he's another lefty, Tab Boyle special. <laughs> extend his left arm like so far and his wingspan's so long they can kind of go across the rim. And it's no defender really knows what to do with that. So he either get a bucket or a foul mm-hmm. every time when he does these really long kind of herky-jerky, weird pace drives. That's, um, what, that's what a long, lengthy lefty slasher should do. Right. Yeah. I want that. He, I think he learned how to use his, his physicality a little bit more on the offensive side and it turned out really well. He turned out some really, really good performances. 
through the end of the year. I'm I'm really excited for him next year. Yeah, actually, I he tends to be silent and overlooked at times, even when he's good. So that is worth stating that he he took a lot of shots towards the end of the year, and he was legitimately good too. Yeah, he was playing a lot. He was playing. Damn, he was playing like around 34 minutes a game. Right, and well, I mean, what, what Tadboy will say is, if you're playing defense, you're going to play on my team. And I think he played good defense. I think he rebounded pretty well, um, and he, he gave consistent effort, um, even if his offense, if his shot wasn't there the whole time, uh, which is a big step for him. If he plays like that next year um, with the added volume, I wouldn't be surprised to see him up in the 11, 12 points a game category. And be a plus in every other aspect of the game as well. Well Well-rounded. He really, he came on strong at the end. So he could be more or less like the glue guy that holds the team together. Yeah. um, I don't think personality, I think he's too passive personality-wise to be that guy. But he could be... Glue guy isn't necessarily aggressive. I guess I was thinking emotional glue. Oh, no, that's McKinley. (laughs) Right, so speaking of... um, Hang on. No, I'm not done with Schwartz. (laughs) So so my issue, or my thoughts on Schwartz, is that he can disappear a lot with his jump shot. Like um, the Washington game, he hit two shots early, and I was just like, yes. This is a good Schwartz game. He's going to be great. He might win this game because he can do that. And then after those first two shots, he completely disappeared, lost all his shot, lost all his confidence. He kept hesitating, got trapped on the wing, and committed turnovers. And that is still happening too much for him to take that next step. But I think that he, like the very next game, he had his best game of the year against Dayton. And he scored 19 points and was terrific. So he can get rid of the bad stuff in his game. It's just I think there's a little bit much of it. Yeah. I don't know. I would, I would say part of that is just because he, was, he handled the ball more than he should have this year. I think even he would say that. And that's partly just because of uh, – personnel like there were the other two ball handler point guards were Gatling who was fine in that role and Coons who was a freshman um yeah Gatling as fine is a good description he's fine yeah yeah so I I think as the other ball handlers grow up and grow more comfortable he can be pushed more into a scorer slasher role and Uh, whatever playmaking he does do is from his slashing yeah Exactly. Yeah, I like that. Forward instead of around the perimeter. Um, I'm excited, by the way, for this team to slash next year, like to slash more than they really ever have um, instead yeah. of passing around the perimeter. And I think they, they finally do have those players. Well, this is kind of what I was talking about is I think what causes that is uh, you can throw a guy like Evan Batty at the high post or in the low post. Oh, yeah. And the, you can cut almost anything around him, and he'll find the open guy. Oh, um, the old Nikola Jokic offense. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, if you want to go even simpler, just do the triangle offense with Shaq. <laughs> no, no, no. Triangle offense with Joakim Noah. <laughs> That's probably a better comp. <laughs> oh, man. Because I don't want you to compare Evan Batty to Zion Williamson and Shaquille O'Neal. 
or it's too late. I already am in real life. <laughs> oh, this is irresponsible. Well, you have Coons, I have Betty. It's fine. Um, okay, in fairness, though, saying Coons can get drafted if he develops progressively for the next three years is not really that. Oh, they're the same level of irrational. <laughs> Do you see – this is completely unrelated. Do you see an MBA-type role for Evan Batty? Um, no. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. Which is fine. I think that will just add to his legend. Yeah, he's going to go dominate in Europe where they fit his skill set better anyway. Well, it'll just be – like, it'll be hard. You know, because Chauncey Billups is obviously a great CU player, but he, I think the reason he's also so legendary is because he's a Hall of Famer NBA. Yeah. Um, and I think it would be really cool to have this moment in time where there's a player who's here for four years and that's the last you hear of his basketball playing in America. Josh Scott. He has just as big of a – yeah, exactly. Like just as big of an impact. If you ask a CU fan who didn't attend during Josh Scott's years, they're not really going to know who Josh Scott is. Like it's, it's, it'll, you know, it'll be kind of like a cool shared secret. You said that you were at a game – and these two fans behind you were talking about how they need to fire Tad, and they apparently didn't know who Josh Scott was. And this was a year after he graduated. Well, I mean, student stupidity is uh, hard to quantify. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, oh, this is also unrelated. Oh wait, so so Evan yeah, Batty. We have two players left. Please. No, no, Evan Batty is going to play for Fenerbahce. And is going to be great in Turkey. Okay. I wanted to play for Rick Pitino. No. Get away from me. <laughs> um, and secondly, I want to take a very wild, irresponsible opinion that has no bearing whatsoever on this conversation, but I want to say it anyway because nobody's listening. Okay. Is that I don't think that Chauncey Billups should be considered the GOAT of CU basketball. Hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm going to write that down and a little note thing. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to have to spend another 45 minutes deconstructing. Okay. The, Obviously the most dominant. That made that thought. Obviously the most dominant, but I, for me, I was talking about college basketball legends and that I think you should favor players who were there for four years. Yeah, I – I can't respond to that with anything other than a long rant, and it's it doesn't fit here. I can't I can't do that right now. And I, I should also say that I should also say that he probably is. I just think we should reconsider the argument just a little bit more than we do. And this is great off season think piece time. Okay. Um, anyway, so we have two players left. So let's talk about McK- or Chauncey Billups' heir. Um, McKinley Wright, um, number 25. I mean, obviously the beginning of it, I guess you missed the non-conference play, but you still read some. And he was – something about him, his game was off. He had a great offseason. He had a great freshman season, obviously. And I think he was trying to do too much to show that how much he's grown, if that makes sense. I understand that completely. He took himself out of his game to show how much he added to his game. Um, so, so instead of augmenting what was already fantastic, he just kind of rebuilt the prototype. Yeah. 
I see. Um, and um, I think Jake Shapiro has mentioned this, but I think injuring his shoulder the way he did kind of stopped that from progressing and made him revert back to his fantastic, you know, speed demon ways. Um, limit himself. Yeah. Um, so I think hopefully he's learned from that. And I, th- I mean, his attitude has never wavered. He was always incredible, like emotionally as a leader. Um, Todd Boyle would disagree with you at times. That he he will complain that McKinley Wright isn't there as much as he should be. I don't think I don't think Ted would. I think he was only effusive in his praise this year. Hmm. Well, Tad's also very honest and will basically take a shit on the entire team if they don't come out 110% energy. Right, but only when they are deserving of the shit. I, don't, I yeah. mean, it's not, he's not going to be out here bad-mouthing players for no reason. Um, well, I, don't, I, don't, I, really don't, I really don't think he um, complained about McKinley's leadership at all this year. No, not his leadership. His, like, his focus. Okay, I can see those two different things. Yeah, yeah well, I'm talking about leadership. Um, and like I was saying earlier, I think McKinley kind of had a checklist at the beginning of the year saying, I have to take this many shots. I have to take this many outside shots. I have to, take this, I have to do this many moves in a game. I have to make sure I pass like this so many. And I don't know. I, I think he kind of came in with individual goals um, that distorted his, his game. And I think he figured it out. Yeah, he, he needs to be one of those under-the-radar type players. I, well, I don't know if I would be under the radar. Um, I I just don't think he can ever be. I don't. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I don't think he can be Damian Lillard, if that makes sense. He loves Damian Lillard, by the way. Right, which is which is why it, I think it makes sense that he went that way. But I I don't see him being like this this Goliath on offense that's impossible to stop. He needs think, to look more to Eric Bledsoe, but. Yes, that's that's a great that, that is a great um, comp. Oh, I'm happy. I think yeah, or or um, yes, even a Goran Dragic, I would be happy with. Or a shitty, very shitty Chris Paul. Yeah, that's probably a pretty solid one too. I he, he's better as a complimentary piece that um, can step in to the scoring role when needed, and mm-hmm. I think he learned that this year. Um, so I, I mean, I think he's staying for next year, which. Well, it's great. I think he's staying all four. I think, yes. I don't think he wants to. And I, frankly, I wouldn't want to, but if I buy that talent, but I think that's what will need to happen. Yeah. I'm basing this off of a tweet that said, he said he was here for the long haul, whatever that means. Well, he does. It's not like he doesn't like playing. He loves playing. (laughs) Obviously. Um, And he's, going to go down as one of the greatest and how how great is it that we get to watch two of what will be some of the greatest players in CU history uh, play with each other why are you completely ignoring Spencer Dinwiddie I'm not ignoring Spencer Dinwiddie hey you know what I thought also that you're going to say two of the greatest players in CU history talking about uh, just referring back to Wright and Chauncey <laughs> Without, because you ignored Dinwiddie earlier. No, I'm not ignoring. I meant um, McKinley and um, the last player that we're talking about, Tyler Bay. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
we already talked about this, but he took his game to another to an NBA level, I should say. Tyler Bay grew to an NBA level player. Near NBA player. He'd be in the G League next year if he got drafted. Yeah. Um, and if I were him, I would enter this year and get, get feedback. Um, but I, I, all, all I was holding him back, I think, was mentality. And then he, he figured out how much of a killer. Hello? Can you hear me? Ah, fuck. I, don't, I mean, Wait, his, his level. Oh, you're cutting out a little bit. Yeah, my internet connection just got bad. All right. I'll edit that out, but can you repeat that? Yeah, so his, his mid-range jump shot is money. Um, he obviously rebounds at a nationally elite level. Mm-hmm. His help defense is superb. His post defense, his one-on-one defense is um, Great, not as good as hell. And on offense, he figured out how to score down low. Um, I think he figured out how to finish. He's still not as good as I'd like him to be, um, but he's definitely more aggressive. I think that his for the NBA, he needs to uh, extend his range. Yeah, and I, 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 he shot some threes early in the year, but they kind of shut that down. His stroke is solid. No, he's a great free throw well. shooter. He like, shoots uh, mid-range shot well. Yeah, his mid-range is good. His free throw, he's shooting 78%, which is really good. That's like uh, Jason Tatum was around that. Yeah. And we've talked about this. We've talked about this uh, many times, but I think the next level for him, what I saw him do this a few times at the end of the year, and I love this move. Is because his mid-range J is so good. I want him to do the Amari Stoudemire pump fake one dribble go up strong, and I think oh, he hell yes so well because um, he gets people moving, and his quickness is such that he can he can kind of do what he needs to to get to the rim after he gets them off their balance a little bit. I don't know why he doesn't dunk on people more. Well. <laughs> You say that, but he averaged, what, four dunks a game, five dunks a game in the well, last stretch? He doesn't dunk on people. Like, he, he goes up with these soft-ass finishes <laughs> don't I have do to think, be that well, Yeah, I think that goes back to physicality at the rim. He doesn't yeah. dunk standing. I don't think he does a lot of standing dunks. I also don't think he finishes well when there's contact yet. I think he got better, but I, I'm, I've yet to see him – you know, like everybody's a natural finishing through contact. He will just run through people and still put up a nice shot. I don't think he has a soft touch with contact, as you would say, but... Bay? Yeah. No, Batty. Oh. I think so. All right. <laughs> I don't know. Either way, um, he's an NBA player. Bay is. Yeah. And I think he's coming back at least for next year. Um, I wouldn't expect him past that. Yeah, that's fair. I... I expect him back next year and hope that he comes back the year after that. And if he does, he would be an absolute monster. Oh, that if, team. Yeah. <laughs> if, if he really comes back for his senior year as does Bay, as does Schwartz. Yeah. I, I'm not expecting like, that. That could be like a legit final four team. Yeah. It won't happen. I wouldn't, exp- I wouldn't want Bay to um, forego all those millions, but he can get those millions the next year. 
<laughs> Teams will still draft him as a senior. It's okay. Um. Okay. Well, let's let's just transition. Like, he's going to be a second round pick. May as well be a four year senior. He's not going to be a second round pick. Yes, he will be. No. No. If he's not no. a second round pick, I will be so happy. But I really, ah, I. That type of player tends to be undervalued in the draft and then uh, overproduced. Derek Williams go top five? What? Didn't Derek Williams go top five? Derek Williams is not at all the same player, and you should know this. Okay. Derek Williams also went second overall. What? You're right. Derek Williams is a lot more physical. He's also just like – he was closer to Thomas Robinson than – Yeah. Um. Let's talk about next year a little bit before we um, dig the grave of this season. Because um, I, I would consider this 2018-2019 team to be part of the, the runway to what has to be an NCAA tournament team next year. It has to be. If it, it doesn't, if it's not, there's no excuses. Right. And uh, I, as we, we are both vehemently, vehemently against the, the Fire Tad squad, Fire Tad team. Um, we're obviously a huge fan of Tad Boyle, but if he can't take next year's team to the tournament, then there are legitimate questions that need answered. Yeah, I don't think we'll have to answer them. Right. Um, um, and I really do think that the only way they don't get there is if injuries happen. But it, it's still the depth is there. I mean, unless you take unless you're talking like season ending to Bay right or Bay, or one of the two, but. Other than that, the roster is set up so well. You have an upperclassman point guard who's been a leader since he stepped on foot, um, stepped on campus. Um, you have an upperclassman monster who's going into his own, who boards the hell out of the ball and can defend anybody help side. You have a senior shot maker who can place decent defense. And then to finish it, you have a shot blocker, rim protector in the middle, and then you have um, like a really smooth operator who can score when he needs to on the wing. Yes. This is the starting lineup. And you have depth who can right. send you back probably have the, instantly. The deepest, the deepest big rotation in the Pac-12 are up there. Who um, is in the Pac-12 next year? Like that's a, That has to be a soft conference again, right? Well, Arizona signed or is going to have their own recruiting class unless something changes. Um, okay. I am not really scared of their one-year recruiting classes after this year, to be completely I mean, Aiden swallowed us whole. Uh, no, he didn't. We Dallas Walton swallowed him whole. For, yes, for one half. And then we held on for dear life as DeAndre Aiden figured out how to play basketball. Yeah. Well, tip as DeAndre Ayton does. Well, yeah. they don't – that's not a DeAndre Ayton in that class, is it? No, there's not. Um they're obviously going to be better. The conference will be marginally better, but I don't think – there's no one that I'm scared of compared to us. Can we go down the list? So Washington just graduated their whole, like, starting five, basically. Uh, depends on if Noel comes back or not. Noel I, might come back. I don't think he should. I don't think so either. Um, is, I don't think he's really that good, to be completely honest. Okay, I disagree heavily. He's like my favorite player in the Pac-12. I love Noel. Well, no, like I meant like like does it does it translate to the NBA super well? 
Probably not. I don't think he can finish the way he does against better athletes. But and he's also pegged as early second round, and this is a really weak draft class. Yeah, I think. I mean, if you're smart, he would take off, but he might be coming back. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, he yeah. should be going. I mean, they have good recruiting class. They don't have a Thibel. They don't have um, a Crisp. Not that he was crazy good, but he always seemed to give CU fits. Yeah, who was that Andrew Andrews who killed us? <laughs> There's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Uh, yeah. I hate that guy. Um, but they'll probably still be top four of the conference, Washington. Yeah, yeah, just also because of Mike Hopkins being a genius. Um, Oregon will bring back Oregon will bring back some players, and they still have a good recruiting class coming in. Oregon? Yeah. Yeah, Oregon should be top four. Um, Oregon State I'm not scared of. No, they're they're not good. Um, they're losing one of the Thompson brothers. They don't have anybody to replace him. They were thin as hell before. It's yeah. going to be Tinkle if he's there. Is it Ethan or Stevie who's going to stay? I Ethan think, will. I think Stevie is a, the yeah, younger, but I'm not sure. All right. Um, graduating. I, I really am not – there's no one on the schedule that I'm, I'm counting as a sure loss yet. That's how – this team can be that good. This team can be top three in the conference easily. At Oregon's probably difficult. At Washington State's probably difficult. Because <laughs> it just usually is. Because it always will be. <laughs> Have we beat Arizona State at Tempe ever? Uh, I'm sure one of the Herb Sendek years, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot they were trash for a little while. Yeah. Um, Washington State, obviously. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'll just Utah is losing their entire team as well. Utah is? Yeah, Cedric Garfield, I, I believe, is, is leaving. Uh, let me look that up. But um, I can name probably two players on their roster. I mean, the, the point of this is CU has the players, and they have, I think, the right mix of players to go – pretty damn far they just um, have to learn how to play consistently on the road and show up with focus every game and they're set and i mean that hopefully that comes with experience they're older we have no idea they have inside shooting they have outside shooting they have um, playmaking happened to what turned out to be pretty pretty good team defense um i think the biggest question mark is um i guess consistent who can run the offense consistently if McKinley's out? Mm-hmm. And can they shoot better? I think they can. but I think that they can't shoot worse because this well, team – Maddox Daniels should help with that. Like Gatling should help with that. Also, McKinley Wright being healthy should help with that. Yeah, and he shot pretty well near the end of the year. Yeah, no, and he pulls up with confidence. That's the biggest thing for me. So, oh, I mean, all the pieces are there. Um, and I think the past two years have been working up to these next one or two, which is basically these now experienced younger players transitioning to good college players across the board. Yeah, this could be the 2013-14 that should have happened. <laughs> right, yes, before huh. Dimity went down. Oh, uh, I just want to give him a hug. Um, that the new playoff bound Spencer Dinwiddie. Yes, he's gonna ball out. I'm so proud of him. And we get to watch Derek White roast the Nuggets 
on the way to a first round exit. Oh my God, is he gonna just ruin Jamal Murray? I really that, hope that happens. That's, good. that's a good matchup. I really hope it happens. Um, Put Bryn Forbes on Gary Harris because Gary Harris forgot how to play basketball. Two Michigan State alums. Oh, oh, they played together. Yeah. Damn. Bryn Forbes, I was really – I'm proud of myself as a scout because I really liked Bryn Forbes. Yeah. The reason really why him. I'm not a good NBA scout is because I really like Adrian Payne. Yeah, I thought that he was very low IQ, didn't have a feel for the game. And but he part was of it, in college. Part of it is just because he looks like he's low IQ, to be completely honest. Oh he well he kind of plays bumbly. He yeah. Played, um, but he still uh, he was so physical and he shot the lights out. But yeah, I was happy with Gary Harris. I thought that he was gonna be really good. Fell in the draft to 19th overall. Was actually traded. The Bulls, by the way. So the Bulls, they had the 11th pick. Or no, the Nuggets had the 11th pick. The Bulls traded Doug McDermott. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So the Nuggets had the pick. And they traded that pick, who became Doug McDermott, for the 16th and 19th pick, who became Yusuf Nurkic and Gary Harris. That's so a good that's Brutal for... Uh, the Bulls, too. Yeah. Well, uh, if you made it this far, uh, thank you. Wait, um, hang on a second. I have one more thing. Okay. But the Nuggets undid that goodwill <laughs> the next year and then in 2017 by trading Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell for Eric Green, who was the 45th pick in the draft, Cash, and then they traded Donovan Mitchell for Tyler Lydon. That one's unforgivable. They thought they were going to get OG Ananobi, but the Raptors got him. Man, Donovan Mitchell will be fun on this team. Oh, my God, yeah. Ugh. Um, well, I want to reward you for making this far with a quick hitter record prediction for next year. Um, I don't know what the for- schedule is. It's tougher. The non-conference has some pretty fun games. Um, the non-conference. They're playing Dayton neutral. They're playing uh, two tournaments, I think. Um, they're playing Arizona State as a non-conference game in China. Whoa. Um, so I'm going to go with – I'm going to say 23 wins um, before the tournament. What seed is that? Or no, actually, sorry. I'm going to go 21 wins before the tournament. Um, that will probably take us top four in conference. How many – what seed is that for you? I assume two wins in the tournament. In the conference tournament? Yeah. Yeah, I'll take us 23. Uh, I would probably put us seven seed maybe. Yeah, I think you're about right. Yeah. Seven seed with some legs. I'll probably agree with you with a bit of room for pessimism. And probably like a nine seed because we always get the nine seed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the worst nine seed, uh, the worst eight seed upset in tournament history. Oh, Pitt. Pittsburgh. I, speaking of, last, last thing, I am very happy Jamie Dixon is not going to UCLA. Yes, I, we, as everyone should be happy that they completely bungled that hire. They are so inept. They had four months. They had four months to find out that Jamie Dixon's well, buyout was too And much. Jamie Dixon said yes, and then they said, oh, we won't pay your buyout. And – 
Rick Barnes was like, I'm interested in them. They said, I will let Tennessee pay you. It's uh, Blue Bloods fall hard. I'm happy for UCLA's fall. As much as I love their uniforms, best uniforms in college basketball, but. They're up there. They're good. They're the best, but. So this has been your 2018-2019 Colorado basketball autopsy. Um, The body sewed up and um, (laughs) the long wait to college football. All right. See you, Jack. Bye.